0: Bibles I invite you to stand if you are capable to mark and stand and turn to Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6. Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6. Follow along as I read from God's Word, chapter 6, verse 1 of the book of Mark. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown. And his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as performed by his hands. Is not this, the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Josie and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his, his own household. And he could do no miracles there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. This is the reading of God's word. You may be it." Father, the world is full of unbelief. The Bible is clear that you have made yourself known. The Bible tells us that man is without excuse. And yet the world is predominantly filled with unbelief in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we confess here, I know I speak for many in this room, that we would be among them if it was not for your Sovereign grace in our life. But we know that unbelief is deadly. It causes people to go to hell. It robs us of our joy. It teaches us to trust ourselves and not our God. We know that unbelief is offensive to you, Lord. So Father, this morning, as we look into your precious, all-sufficient word... We pray that you would strengthen us, Lord. Help us in our unbelief at times, Lord. Though we thank you for the belief you have put in our heart, the faith you have granted us for salvation, we do ask that you would strengthen us to walk and live as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in this time of year we see the world sing things that they probably don't even understand we pray for those who don't know you. Our family, our neighbors, our friends, maybe even some in this room, Lord, that do not truly have a personal relationship with you. We know so many know truth about Jesus, know some of the Bible, but yet many are still in unbelief. We ask that you would open the eyes Of those today, Lord, that are maybe here, our loved ones, ones we've been praying for, witnessing to, to grant them spiritual sight to see Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for our missionaries around the world who preach the same message. Many that we support and many others we we don't, Lord, that are proclaiming these truths to places we cannot go. And we pray that unbelief would be beat by you, by that gospel message, Lord, around the world. So strengthen our missionaries, Lord. Give them favor as they teach and preach, Lord. Father, we think of those who could not be here, Lord. Would you pray for Michelle at this moment she suffered a Caesar here just moments ago. Lord, strengthen her, protect her, Lord. We pray for others who are going through procedures this week or seeing doctors or some who are even in the hospital, Lord. We we do ask that you would be kind to them, Lord. We praise you for David and Terry with us this morning, Lord. We know you have asked a great deal of them. Thank you for strengthening them. We are encouraged to see them here, Lord. May you continue to help them have ministry, Lord. May, may your love for them be shown to many people. Lord, we thank you for this time now. Now hear your word. May what we speak and say and sing here today bring glory to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you study your Bible, only twice do we see Jesus said to be amazed. <laughs> only twice within the Bible. The first one is at the faith of the Roman centurion. He has a very sick slave who is going to die, and he sins for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he makes statements so much that, that his faith was so great, Jesus says, I've not seen this in all of Israel. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled at him. That's one. The other place where we see Jesus marvel at something is in this text. And he's marveling not at their faith like he was at the Roman centurion, but he was marveling at their unbelief. The word is astonishment. Almost knocked back. We'll look at this in a moment at how hard their hearts were. Well, of course, Satan loves this, right? He loves lies. He loves unbelief. Jesus called him the father of lies. This is what he does, John chapter 8. And lies lead to unbelief. That's the goal of lies. And unbelief leads to eternal death. Now, Satan loves sin and unbelief, and he certainly loves death. And so this is what he does, right? He's doing the same thing over and over. He introduced this. Uh, To Adam and Eve in the garden. He lied. He is a liar. And so it leads to unbelief. And Adam and Eve did not believe God. They rejected the word of God. In unbelief, they believed Satan. And So we see this go down. Their firstborn son did not believe God. Cain killed his brother. Unbelief was unanimous, prominent within the time of Noah. And all are destroyed except Noah And seven others that go onto the boat with him. Laid at the hearts of the people of Israel was unbelief as Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the commandments of God, the law of God, there down at the bottom worshiping a golden calf. Unbelief. Is God really who he said he is? Unbelief laid at the hearts of complaining and murmuring with the nation. And God sends snakes to bite them. That just scares me. <laughs> I believe, I believe. <laughs> I don't like snakes. <laughs> and yet unbelief brings about these things. Here we see in our text today that unbelief was in the heart of the people of the hometown where Jesus was raised. And that same deadly unbelief remains in the hearts of most people today. Hardened and cold towards the things of God. And I want to remind you as we go through this, because sometimes when we speak on unbelief or a particular passage about a particular group of people, it's easy for us to focus in on them. But let me remind us, if not for Christ, there go I. Right? Amen? Um, it, our hearts would be choked out with unbelief if it were not for the graciousness of God to plunge into our hearts and minds and open our spiritual eyes to Him. But however, unbelief calluses the heart towards God. It calluses that cold, stone heart. And in the end, the result of that is eternal damnation. John, in his comments about the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for Mankind said this. He said, he who believes in him, that's Jesus, is not judged. Praise the Lord. Paul says it very similar. Those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. But then he goes on to say, he who does not believe has been judged already. So that's a a very strong uh, theological understanding that all are sinners. You you remain under judgment from the time you're born um, because we're condemned already. We're already in sin. God must save us out of sin. It's really a misnomer to much of the world when you try to explain depravity to to people who are curious about Christ. They they think somewhere along the line they may have gone astray. (laughs) But the reality, the Bible teaches that we go astray from birth. David says, I was conceived in sin. And so depravity is much deeper than that. And so John in his commentary on the words of the Lord Jesus says, He who does not believe has been judged already because, listen to this, he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So unbelief is the rejection of the glory in person, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there you will die in your sins. So people die and go to hell because they reject Jesus Christ, a Savior alone, outside of any works. That's why people die and go to hell. You and I are saved because God chose us from the foundations of the world by His mercy and grace. Though we don't fully get our minds around all of this... But he removed this stony heart, and this is what we pray for our loved ones, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our co-workers, that God would remove his stony heart as he did with us and replace it with a heart of flesh through his grace alone, by Christ alone, through faith alone, through his word alone, for his glory alone. Period. That's salvation. and That's what we long for. As we study this lesson, we begin to realize this is what's missing in these people's life. Now, by the time we arrived in Mark 6, Jesus has done so much in such a short time. Certainly now his reputation would have preceded him. Uh, I don't think you could hear about a massive storm with seasoned fishermen were out there and then all of a sudden it calmed. I was thinking about this this week. I thought, I wonder if anybody was sitting on the shore looking across out there going, Whoa, the sea's a mess, and wow, isn't Peter, James, and John, and a bunch of those great fishermen, aren't they out there? That had to get around, right? The casting out of the demons, the legion of demons out of the man of of the Gerasenes, I mean, don't you think people heard about that? I mean, you can hardly sneeze and somebody call you and say, do you have a cold, you know? Things just move, Right? (laughs) And today, they really move, but people always are talking about other people, right? What about this healing of this bleeding woman we looked at last week? Who can do these things? And yet, in the middle of all this crowd that, oh, we need Jesus, we want Jesus, we want Jesus, Jesus knew who had faith, because he had given it to him. Healed, not healed, resurrected from the dead, Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. So everywhere he goes, people crowded and hailed him. Religious leaders despised him. But the one place you would think that Jesus would be loved would be in his hometown. Joseph and Mary um, moved back to Nazareth. You remember this, right? After they returned from Egypt because they had fled from King Herod. Matthew 2.23 says they came and they lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to be fulfilled, but was spoken of them in the prophets. He shall be a Nazarene. So uh, this is all part of God's prophecy for them to land in this little town called Nazareth. And and think about this. Here Jesus spent the better part of 30 years of his life. And he grew up. And they knew him. They, They watched him grow up from this infant child to adult and to all the stages in between. They watched Jesus grow. And though Jesus had preached these life-changing messages to the masses, performed countless miracles and healing, all that came to him, the Bible says, he's just the oldest son of Mary when he comes to this town. There are such dangers in complacency, isn't there? Some people say complacency kills and it's extremely dangerous in spiritual things. Maybe we should say familiarity breeds blindness, in a sense. I've heard the gospel message before. Oh, I believe that that Jesus died for my sins. And it becomes old and it's not, it's, it's not glorious to some, right? And so here, this Jesus was the... The one raised in front of them, and their cold hearts can't see his glory. They can't see his person. I'm sure if the bleeding woman was there who was healed, I bet you she would talk about his glory. But she would talk about the faith that flooded her heart to do something that was so outside of the custom of the day. I bet you she would do it. As we look at this text this morning, it's important to understand that this is Jesus' second trip home. The first trip was recorded in Mark chapter 4. And that trip didn't go so well. Do you remember that? I just want to give you some brief thoughts about that. We'll come and look at it in a minute. He goes to his hometown in Luke chapter 4. And there he is given the word of God to read. He reads from Isaiah 61. Marvelous passage. And in that passage, he He talks about himself. uh, Truly, this has been fulfilled today. I mean, speaking of the Messiah, it's a great messianic passage. And and then he tried to deal with their sin, right? (laughs) Their hypocrisy and their deadness. And next thing you know, they're trying to throw him off a cliff. And the Bible says that he escaped from their midst in a supernatural way. Now, many months later, he's been out doing amazing things and preaching all the time don't get lost, he's just a miracle worker remember he's preaching constantly miracles and healings are secondary to his preaching ministry we established that many sermons ago but here many months later he's now returned home and Jesus is, he's, he's knowing his hour is approaching he knows the time and, and, and so he's one more visit, one last visit the hostility of the religious leaders is growing. They're hunting him down now. They're watching him very closely. Um, interesting enough, Herod's, one of Herod's palaces would have been in uh, Tiberias very closely. Possibly Jesus is feeling, wow, the religious leaders are at me. Herod's here. Ooh, you know, he's going to make one more trip to home before he turns his attention towards Jerusalem. And the neighbors of his hometown had seen plenty of proof of who he was. Now, Jesus and his disciples make this last walk up there. It's probably 25 miles uh, really down southeast from Capernaum down to Nazareth. And there he appears to these people. Early population documents tell us that the town was probably only about 500 people. I think there's probably more in this room than than we're in the town. And so it's a small town here. In fact, it's... (laughs) Not a well-known town. Do you remember when Philip is recruiting Nathanael to come see Jesus? And he says he's from Nazareth. And what, you remember what Nathanael says? Is anything good come from Nazareth? So this is not a populated area. This is, you know, this is Bunnell versus Daytona, right? Or Sorry, Bunnell people. I, I like Bunnell, really. I do. It's, I'm a country boy. Um, it's, it's, it, boy, I do. Um. Is there a better place (laughs) to think of? This is a small town, man. This is, uh, you know, this is quiet, quiet neighborhoods. They all knew who Jesus was. This was his hometown. I mean, I thought about that this week. This is the hometown of the creator and savior of the world. And they're offended of him. What an amazing thing. How hard can man's heart get and by the way, just notice in verse 1 that his disciples are with him. He's going to teach them some massive lessons about ministry as he flows into this. Well, let's talk about just three thoughts this morning. Number one, unbelief, unbelief creates spiritual blindness to Jesus. Unbelief creates spiritual blindness to Jesus. Verse 1 says Jesus went on from there and he came, up, came to his own hometown and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles are performed by his hands. So despite this violent response of his first visit, he returns home. I, and I thought to myself, well, one, what happened? What, what, why would... Why would Jesus return there and why wouldn't they do the same thing they tried to do to him last time? Uh, if you study that text, they they went to the there's a cliff in Nazareth. That's a massive drop off the backside of it. You can stand there and look up, the winds come gusting through there, and if you fall off that, it's all all over. That's where they were intended to throw him off. Right? But here he comes back. Why does he do this? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. I think Jesus' popularity had grown very much. Many of his own family were frustrated with him, thinking he was out of his mind, right? Um, But also, you get to Mark chapter 7, they want him now to be king. And so maybe there's this, well, we'll let him back in because, boy, he's doing some things nobody else has done. This could put us on the map. Possibly, also, remember he just healed Jairus' daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, who was a synagogue official So maybe there was some pressure there like, hey, uh, he healed this synagogue's daughter and and maybe we should have him come back without trying to kill him this time. There's certainly the knowledge of all the things that happened. Remember when he was in the synagogue where um, Jairus probably was an official, he first heals a man with a withered hand right there in the synagogue on the Sabbath. That got him in all kinds of trouble. Then he cast out a demon in that synagogue and then the Pharisees tried to align him or put him in league with Beelzebub, Satan himself. So maybe they've heard about all this and they say, well, maybe we have a change of mind. Maybe we should check him out, right? Not a belief, not a surrender to him, but maybe he might be good for us. I think so many people come to, try to come to Jesus that way. I'll do the church thing for a little while. I'll see if I can get prosperity from it. Or something good would happen if I kind of rubbed shoulders with the Jesus people for a little bit. And often they're very disappointed. Because that's not what God came to do. Verse 2 says that he was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath here. And and we we learn that in the synagogue you had to be invited. So, So clearly somebody invited him to be able to teach there. And possibly Jairus... Jairus did this. He said, you should accept him. Jairus saw what Jesus did, had tremendous faith. He was probably one of the two people there in that large crowd that had faith in Jesus. The Bible says here in verse 2, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished. So ekplezo is the word, or klezo is the Greek word. It means to be struck back. Now, you think this would wake them up if you get kind of struck at this. But instead, it seems their hearts get harder. And in the end, they say they're offended by him. So though they recognize, and think about this, they had to recognize that something was unique about them, right? They say in the passage, where did he get these things? Where did he get this wisdom given to him? And such miracles performed. See, they notice these things about him. And so it's, it's rather a, um, a recognition without acceptance. And I, I think this is where so many in the charismatic movements get carried away in something. They, they recognize that, man, if you get this Jesus guy and, 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 and get some of that stuff, man, you can really go. But they never accept him. It, it, it's, it's the difference between accepting him as a miracle worker and accepting him as a savior. Do you know that there's an eternal difference between those two? An eternal difference. Hell and heaven. And so this seems to be the case. Clearly they heard his wisdom. They witnessed his miracles. He even does some there. He lays hands on some people. But pride and selfishness had resulted in unbelief. Hard hearts. And though the people of Nazareth had seen many miracles and heard of them, all they could do is question, just question. It's almost like, what is this guy's bag of tricks? And if you didn't see the last phrase there in, in verse 3, just look down to end of verse 3, we'll get to this in a minute, that they took off of, offense of him, you might not have understand from this text that their attitudes are not accepting of him, but rejecting of him. Right, You would go, oh, hey, how does he do this? Oh, isn't he a great guy? Now, it's that passage that helps us understand, oh, no, no. <laughs> They're not happy with him. They're rejecting him. Now, many of the Pharisees um, had attacked Jesus. Uh, and said he was in league with Satan. And, and, and possibly this made their way there as well. Um, they had heard that, and, and so maybe, as you look at this, where did this man get these things? what wisdom was given? See, they, that was a big deal that happened in Capernaum, right? Here comes the Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, going, oh, we'll tell you where he gets his power. He's in league with Be- uh, Be- uh, Beelzebub, right? Beelzebub. He's in league with Satan. And so maybe that had trickled there, and maybe that spurned some of these questions, Maybe they were just like the people of the, gar- the Gardeens, right? There where, where this man full of a legion of demons is healed and the townspeople come out and see it because their pigs got drowned. It. They go, uh, yeah, we want you to leave. Just cold, hard hearts. Yeah, we don't need you. We know you did something great for this guy and nobody else could do it and nobody else could tie this guy down and he was a big problem, but we don't want you to leave. Cold, cold dead hearts to the things of Jesus. But whatever the case is, they're looking for an unbelief. They're looking for, excuse me, they're looking for an explanation to secure their unbelief. Notice verse 3. They begin to ask more questions. Is this not the carpenter? Is this not the carpenter? Is this not the son of Mary? Is this not the one who has brothers and sisters here? So you think, well, how are these questions even possible? Some belief has created such blindness to him. Think about all that has been talked about. John the Baptist was raised close to this somewhere. John the Baptist was the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. At the birth of John the Baptist, everyone said, oh, we've heard these things, we're keeping them in mind. What will become of this child? It was an amazing thing, what God had done with John the Baptist, the last prophet before the Lord Jesus Christ. That seems to have just... Gone away. When Jesus is born, the the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 18, that all those marveled at what they had heard. Do you think that just stayed there? Every bit of Joseph and Mary's family was in Bethlehem because everyone had gone to be registered. I promise you, this wasn't kept in the corner of the announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about when Jesus is given to Simeon there at, his, at, at the eighth day of his life. And there he was to be circumcised. He says, my eyes have seen my salvation. Anna comes in behind that. And, and she continues, the Bible says she continues to speak of all the things that he was going to do. And that they were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. This, Jesus was heavily touted in so many ways. There's more when you start to think about Mary's prayer and Elizabeth of the baby leaping in the room and blessing Mary, leaping in the womb and blessing of Mary and Mary pondering in her great prayer and, and think about him at Canaan when he's going to change water into wine Mary Mary kind of sticks her nose into it and then backs off and tells the servants goes whatever he says do that stuff just gets around but all of a sudden here's 500 people who have watched this perfect child grow up, and they don't believe him. They don't believe him. So rather than accepting the long-awaited Messiah and believing his words, even as he read Isaiah 61 the first time, they are bringing up attacks against him. Is he not a carpenter? I Think about that. The word means laborer in a sense. It's a very wide term in, in the Greek. So it's, it could be a shipbuilder, a mason, um, a blacksmith. It, all those words relate to that. Uh, I read a little bit on this and quite a few people believed he, he probably made farming instruments. You know, he made a hoe, you know, or something. Um, it was a farming community. There probably wasn't a tremendous amount of building going along. So a lot of scholars have uh, recognized. But can you imagine Jesus building you a hoe? Well, Jesus, you really nailed this one. (laughs) I mean, he was probably good at what he did, I would imagine, right? And and, and so yet, here, they're going, wait a minute, we're looking for the Messiah. Aren't you just a a carpenter? Where is your prestigious lineage? Where is your formal training? Where are your armies to crush our enemies? You're just a carpenter. Notice the next one, he says the son of Mary. Isn't that interesting? Nowhere in this era would you say you're the son of the woman. Uh, You would say you're the son of Joseph. You know, my boys are the son of Scott. That that was just the way it was. It was a very patriarchal society. There's two reasons why they wouldn't say that. One would be negotiated that Joseph was dead. Good possibility Joseph was probably quite a bit older than uh, Mary, but the second one, and probably more fitting, is Mary had him illegitimately. This is probably probably a shot at the family and at Jesus. The Pharisees used this as well. John :41, they said to him, "We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God." Look, and this tool was in their toolbox. <laughs> This is a shot against the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they go on to say in verse 3, aren't his brothers, James, Josie, Judas, and Simon, aren't they here as well? Don't we know them? This is an average person. They're they're making Jesus out to be this average person, right? Not the Messiah. Now, remember in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, his brothers came up. uh, to Capernaum and said we think he's out of his mind let's try to get him out of here because he was so busy ministering remember he couldn't even eat so now now think about that don't you think that got around yeah his brothers think he's crazy and so you can just see this rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ as they work down through this statement But John chapter 7 verse 5 says not even his brothers were believing. Now, certainly after the resurrection, we know his brothers came to know Christ. Judas writes the book of of Jude. Um, uh, James, of course, is a great elder in the church in Jerusalem and and, uh, writes the book of James as well. But at this point, they didn't know. And so they're, they're probably using this. They're probably saying, look, his brothers think he's crazy. How can this be? The Messiah, how is he doing these things? And his brothers think he's crazy, and he's of a... He's, of course, he's the son of Mary, and we know all what happened there, right? See what they're doing? See the offense that they have against him? One side note, just really interesting, you kind of got to deal with this. It says that even his sisters, plural, so at least two. Does anybody know where I'm going with this? The Roman Catholic Church believes that, Jesus, uh, that uh, Mary was perpetual, perpetually a virgin, well, we got a verse here that says, six other children. At least six, if you're talking about two girls, sisters, right? Four brothers here, at least. I don't think that's the case. We know that the Bible says that Joseph did not know her till the child was born. Joseph joined the effort of the Holy Spirit to protect the womb of Mary. But she was an ordinary woman who loved God, and God used. And highly exalted her for this birth of her, but she is not in any way to be worshipped as she is in many societies. And it's deadly. Think about this. And it's not an attack against Catholics, so please don't take that. But it is deadly because it takes your eyes off of the only one who can save you. And he is approachable. <laughs> he hung on a cross for you. You don't need mom to go get to him. He is not far from you, the Bible says. So the point of all this first thought here is that bringing Jesus' former occupation up and his family family problems, right, was just a poor attempt to defend their unbelief. Look at our second thought here. Number two, unbelief is offensive to Jesus. Look at the end of verse three. This is just marked up in my Bible because because everything sounded okay until you get to this. And they took offense at him. Scandalizo is the Greek word. Can you hear the English? <laughs> See, to them this was scandalous, right? This was scandalous. This is scandalous to his family and friends, his hometown homies here, that this would be the Messiah. He, he first came and... And he claimed to be Messiah in Luke 4, 21. He confronted their hypocrisy and their unbelief in verse 23. And then they were so outraged that they wanted to kill him. Look at that text with me just quickly here. Luke chapter 4. They have not forgotten what happened in the first visit. I'm convinced of that. You know when somebody's what you think has wronged you. And you don't have a forgiving heart um, and have not died to that sin, in a sense, and said, Lord, I forgive, even though, I mean, if you have not done that, we know, let's be honest, we can harbor hard-heartedness towards somebody else, right? Well, look at this account, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he reads Isaiah 50, excuse me, 61. um, Verse 20, he closes the book, gives it back to the tenants and says today, at the end of verse, verse 21, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, that's a Messiah verse, and he's saying he's the Messiah, right? Everything goes pretty good, verse 22, and all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling off of his lips, and they were saying, is this not the son of Joseph? Ooh, a little insight into doubt. And it's not going to take much to push them And expose their unbelief. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 23. And he said, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. You've saved others, save yourself. (laughs) Don't tell me Jesus isn't a prophet, priest, and a king. Notice Verse 24, and he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his own hometown, but I say to you in truth that there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, and when the skies were shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over the land. Yet Elijah has sent, was sent to none of them, but to Sever, Severaphath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow, and she's not a Jew. <laughs> Oh, okay, now my hackles are getting up. Okay, son of Joseph is pushing me here. He doesn't leave it at that, verse 27. He goes on. And there were many leopards in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. Oh, you want to really get under the skin of them? That's the people who took them into captivity, the northern tribes. And Jesus is saying, you're faithless. You don't believe. And boy, did he bring that out of them. They were, verse 28, notice they're filled with rage. This this word filled means they were gripped with it. Just, I mean, they were coming and glued. And it's so much so that they would take a son of their town and in verse 29, attempt to throw him off of a cliff. I think that's murder. (laughs) So, when we go back to our text here in Mark, realize that he knows they have taken offense towards him. He knows that they don't like him. They have not forgiven him. They have hard hearts. And they're holding on to that. So Jesus responds to their outrage and unbelief by calling himself a prophet. Verse 4, and go back to our text, Mark chapter 6, verse 4. And Jesus says to them, a prophet is not without honor except... So, he, you know, the Bible uses negatives a lot to talk about positives. So he says, a prophet is honored everywhere, but in his hometown, right? That's what he's saying here. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his own relatives, and in his own household. Remember the boys, the brothers, you know, the dear kids we were raised with, think he's crazy. In his own town of probably 500 would seek to kill him, but he has so much prestige right now, there's such a following him, they know they can't get away with it. So everywhere Jesus went, these great crowds wanted him, but not in his hometown. Now, the true gospel separates at times, we have to understand that, it really does, and and the Bible teaches that it separates us, and, and I know some of you have experienced, we've experienced this in our home, our home, our family at times, and when you stand for the gospel, when you stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ, you could lose a few people. The Christmas card list could get shorter. The table that used to be filled with people, they may leave. And Jesus, wanted, I think, wants his disciples here. I think he wants them to see the cost of following him. Look at Matthew chapter 10. It's probably uh, the, the greatest passage of Difficult preparation that Jesus did for his disciples. It is a passage that we try to take young men to to prepare them for ministry. Um, But I think everyone who follows Jesus Christ, who has died to self and laid down the life to follow Christ, should understand. Look at with me at Matthew chapter 10, verse 17. 16, he says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, I don't have to give you too many illustrations, but that's usually not a good outcome to that, right? Right? Verse 17. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and to scourge you in the synagogues. So you want to follow Jesus. And you will, you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Amen. Doesn't he come to our rescue? Brother. Brother will portray brother to death. Whoa. Wait a minute. Are we supposed to all just get along? The gospel divides. Jesus is telling these the, the next leaders, the leaders that are going to lead the church, the birth of the church is going to come through these men. Brothers will betray brothers to death. Judas is listening to this. <laughs> brothers will betray brothers to death. A father, his child, children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one whom has endured to the end who will be saved. Doctrine of perseverance, meaning the saved keep going no matter what. Verse twenty-three. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. You go, oh, okay, maybe that's over. Look at verse twenty-four. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is, not, is it enough for the disciples that, that he become like the teacher and a slave like his master? If they have called the head of the household, Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I, we've been on the recipients of the, some of this stuff uh, because there becomes such hatred towards the things of God. Verse 26, therefore do not fear them. This is good news. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden and will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. This is what we do. And what you hear, whisper it in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, listen to this, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He's given some inspiration here. Are not two sparrows sold for one cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than the sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. Praise the Lord. But whoever denies me before men. Mark chapter 6. I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That is one of the most frightening verses in all of Scripture. That Jesus Christ himself will deny you to the Father. We know what the passage is. I never knew you. Depart from me. You're not part of the family. So here's the lessons. There's more. I don't have time to keep reading this, but he's getting ready to send them out. And what I think is intriguing as I look at this final thought in this last last, uh, point too here is that he's got his disciples with him. He's wanting them to see that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Third thought, unbelief draws a reaction from Jesus. Unbelief draws a reaction from Jesus. Look at 5 and 6. And he could not do miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Well, because of their unbelief, Jesus chose not to do miracles in Naz- Nazareth. Isn't that sad? I mean, he, he, we know that his miracles were to point that he was the Messiah, he was the one that could save us from our sins. Um, last week we preached a sermon not to focus on the lesser unless you miss the greater, right? And so many people want to focus on the lesser. But the lesser is pretty cool, right? If you have a paralyzed son when Jesus happened to be in your town. And, and though the Bible says that he touched some, he put his hands on healed some, they didn't get to see what others did. And, and, and though we still believe God does miracles and he chooses to heal some and and, and we said last week, remember, he will heal everyone someday who is his child. and may not be on this earth, but it will be on the next. And yet, it's forfeited because of disbelief here. Now, the God of creation is in their midst, and you reject him, <laughs> and you miss all the supernaturalness. Let me think about the gospel just for a moment here. We think healing in this passage, but think about spiritual healing. You reject Jesus and you miss the greatest supernatural work a man or woman or child could ever experience being changed from death to life. You think Jairus's daughter was cool? Jairus' daughter had to come to faith in Christ at some day, right? She had to come to faith. That's the greater miracle. And when we think about this, that Jesus did not perform these things, it's a, it, it really is a vision into what they lost. They lost the one who can resurrect the dead. Not only physical, that's the lesser, but the spiritual. That's what they gave up. They gave that up because their hearts were full of unbelief. Don't miss that today. Don't miss the, pre- the precious gospel that changes people from dead people, dead in their sins, to alive. One that were held by the one who works in the sons of disobedience and snatches them from his hands, takes out the fear of death from him, and gives eternal life. Now, verse 5, um, the heal- what I call, I call verse 5, the healing of the faithless. Look at verse 5 with me. This is very important. And he could not do miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few six people and healed them. Now today's uh, quite a bit of false teaching within, quote, Christianity believes that you're healed because of your faith. I want to make a very clear point. These people don't have faith and he heals them. Because he's merciful. That's an amazing thought when you look at that. And he does this all through the scriptures. I mean, think about the ten leopards, right? Only one comes back and thanks him the other night. Or, Dude, we're out of here. The crippled guy, at the, uh, the crippled man at the pool, he doesn't even know who Jesus was. They ask him who did this. Well, I don't know. Never saw the guy before. He didn't have any faith in Jesus. Jesus just does kindness to humanity. He shows kindness to humanity. He sends the rain on the good and the evil, right? He shows kindness all the time. And I want to prove, because there's just such a misnomer about this. Faith doesn't heal you. If you get healed, it's because of the kindness of God. And he's still kind if he doesn't heal you. (laughs) Because he... Grant you salvation for eternity. When you see him, you will be like him. So please don't miss that. Then verse 6 here is that he wondered at their unbelief. As God, Jesus knew everybody, right? He knows whose are his. When he's in the first temple cleansing in John chapter 2, it says this, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men. Hmm. he knows he knows whose are his but as the God man we often see Jesus weep over unbelief as he comes to the Mount of Olives and he looks across the kindred valley and you you can hear that right when he comes out and he says oh if you would have believed I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks as the Lord is on his knees most likely looking across the kindred valley into this, this nation that had rejected him and we're going to kill him in the coming days. This is Jesus. At Lazarus' um, resurrection, he weeps not because Lazarus, his good friend, is dead. He weeps at the unbelief. The God of creation is in their midst. And so when we come to this verse, we see that here Jesus thumazos these people. He, he wonders at him. He's astonished at him. them. You don't know who is there. The word gives the idea that he staggered at how hard their hearts had become. They were callous. And then the last phrase, and this is our Lord, isn't it? And he was going around the villages teaching. (laughs) Don't believe? I'll go to somebody else. Because that's what I came to do, to preach. The gospel, that's exactly what he said when he read to them the first time in Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach. That's, that's what he said. So, so the last phrase in the verse, in, in verse six says, and he's going around teaching in the villages, isn't he? Because that's what he does. And that's our admonishment, right? Preach and teach the gospel. Don't give up. Now, good news the brothers get saved. I'd imagine the sisters got saved. We see Mary at the cross, the tomb. We we see her finish well. I I wouldn't doubt that he gathered souls in from Nazareth later because he keeps preaching. Now you need to keep preaching. You're not Jesus, so be careful. (laughs) Be humble and kind. Weep over your lost family members. Weep over that brother who... Doesn't repent it. Reap over that, that family member that doesn't want anything you do. It. And, and when God gives you opportunity, share the gospel with them. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Tell them the supernatural work he did to change your heart. Put your faith in Jesus in front of them. Did you hear that? Put your faith in Jesus in front of them and see what God does. Because he loves to save thieves on the cross. The last moment, he gathers people in because he's a gracious God. And this is what he does. What a chapter, huh? What what a six verses that help us realize, wow, things have not changed, have they? And yet, be faithful. Preach the gospel to yourself. Live it in front of others. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for sweet time in your word today, Lord. Let us not get hardened hearts over this when we look at these folks. We would be there questioning Jesus with unbelief if it wasn't for your grace and mercy in our life. We would be listed in this group of people. So keep us humble, Lord. Keep us amazed. Keep us astonished and marveling at you every day. Every time we open your word, every time we think about your care and your sovereign love and grace in our life, may we marvel at you. Lord, don't let us lose this passion we have for you lord circumstances in this life are difficult these bodies wear out our minds will struggle sin has affected us greatly lord but father help us stay passionate about you we have your word we have enough lord and may by your grace we finish well thus displaying that we belong to you our finishing well does not save us, but it is a result, Lord, that you've changed our lives. So We ask that you would strengthen Riverbend Church, each and every member who confesses Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that we would run well, Lord, and we would believe. And Lord, when we fail to believe, help us in our unbelief. Help us turn to you, Lord. and May you give us that sweet joy of belief in you again. In Jesus' name, amen.